This is Brian Billick. I'm joined by my partner, Jim Moore, and welcome to the Coach's Show podcast presented by Bud Light. It's a sure sign of a good time. Here we go. Two-point conversion for the tie. Decker in short motion. Tebow lifts the knee, fakes, keeps the ball. Tim Tebow to the end zone. Two-point conversion successful, and we are tied at 29. Jim, I can't tell you how much I was looking forward to doing the podcast today because you finally, I know you've held it off. I know you haven't been a Tebow believer. Oh, I've been pounding away now. at this. I am thrilled to death to be coming here and say, you finally have to agree this guy's pretty good. Wait a minute now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's back it up a little bit. Let's uh, revision his history yeah, here. Yeah, it is. Oh, no, I that's think, my story I'm taking to. I think that last week I kind of I oh, made the did. transformation a little bit. And I think you're a week behind me, but I you am. had his game this week against Minnesota so you got to sit with Tim Tebow talk to him you got to talk to John Fox you got to talk to John Elway and then you got to sit in the booth and watch him play in person firsthand tell me about him man why are you why are you finally in the boat with me I actually had to turn and I admit it I'm kidding here you have been ahead of the curve on this not much now maybe four or five days ahead this but during the broadcast and Tom Brenneman who's my Brad Cuss partner he's a huge Tebow fan has he actually got some some heat for it because he actually did an interview (laughs) tell the story yeah yeah yeah, back when he I think it was the national championship game Tom and I did the Sugar Bowl his last game against Cincinnati where he absolutely demolished him but he had a relationship because the year before before in the national championship game, he made the comment on air that you spend five minutes with Tim Tebow will change your life. And I jokingly ta- told Tom after the interview, you know, I said, well, you know what? We spent 30 minutes with this guy, and I'm pretty much the same guy, okay? <laughs> but but uh, you, you can't help but fall in love with this kid. When and, and Tom caught some heat for that. But So he's obviously a Tebow fan. And I had to turn to him during the broadcast and just say, hey, man, I'm in. And I am, and here's why. And here's the important thing, and let's talk about it because – uh, we've had some fun with it, but here's what's brought me over. First off, and I wrote about this on FoxSports.com, let's start with the throwing action. Let's both agree. That action's not going to change. There's still a limitation now. He still drops the ball too low, and it's a big windup. Okay, so let's begin with that's not going to change. But, and I had a quarterback in Randall Cunningham who had that same big stroke. Right. But what Randall developed was an anticipation and an accuracy that overcame it. And I think Tim Tebow can do that given time. What sold me is when you sit, when I sat with Mike McCoy and John Fox, and you listened to the progression. Right. First, Tim Tebow did not have an offseason. How many times, Jim, have we talked about this loss offseason that the player from year one, forget the rookies, they're lost anyway. The, the lost time between year one and year two, not just quarterbacks, but the entire league, that was a big loss by players in right. this league right. because that's a huge development time. Right. And so Tim Tebow didn't have that. Right. Now he's got a new coaching staff with a new system, and they can't come in and, and, and install a Tim Tebow-friendly offense. They had to install their offense, John Fox, Mike McCoy. And that was, not, that was a prototypical pro offense that we know Tim Tebow's not going to flourish in. That's why he didn't look good. He was their third-string quarterback. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're just laughing at me. No, I I love the Tebow talk. I thought you bring up this great point about anticipation. You know better than I know. I I know it from a defensive perspective. You know it from an offensive perspective that if you throw the ball when a guy looks open, by the time it gets there, he's going to be covered. And so you have to anticipate 
where to throw the ball and when to throw the ball because the windows, and that's the area that they have right. to throw into, are so tight in this league. When a guy in, in college you know, looks open, he's open. When a guy in the pros looks open, you know what? He's about to be covered. Right. And I think what I saw yesterday out of Tim that was really impressive, and, and I think Minnesota blew some coverages. Yeah, we can and we'll get to that in a second. Wide but. open, but he saw him. He found him. You know, Ryan? So, to me, that means his vision, his, his first wide vision, that downfield vision is expanding. Well, and, and so that's the first part. Let's, let's agree. Okay, his throwing action is not going to change. No, but, but, no, no. But that can be overcome. And, and I, and I, now, to what degree, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I'm, I'm on board with, okay, we'll, we'll adapt to throwing action. He'll get better with his feet. His anticipation will improve. Here is the other part. We both agree Denver doesn't have a particularly good receiving core wrapped around them. Yep. Um, and, and that's a factor as well. You can't just be dismissive of that. They're not particularly dynamic in the sense that um, the guys he's throwing, Eric Decker's a good young receiver, but he's a possession type guy. Right. Eddie Royal, Eddie Royal kind of flashes. A, he doesn't have a legitimate number one. He doesn't have even, even Minnesota, uh, you know, uh, 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 Ponder's got Vasante Shanko. So he's got a go-to guy because his outside guys aren't real good as well. And Ponder played pretty well, by the right. way, when it comes down to it. So it's a double whammy of, okay, I've got – and it's a group that I didn't get to work with a lot because yep. of the way they had to install the offense. Kyle Orton was the guy. Brady Quinn actually had kind of beaten him out, I think, going in. So how much time did he have with those guys? Uh, Dem- Demarius Thomas, who I think is going to be pretty good. Yep. Um, so there's a cascading set of events that now Tim Tebow is beginning to mature – in this league, in an offense. Now, keep in mind, he only threw it about 20 times. So unlike a Christian Ponder, unlike a Cam Newton, yep. get on teams that aren't going anywhere, that can go ahead and throw it up 35, 40 times and go ahead and make the mistake, you're learning from it. He's playing under a tighter set of parameters. But Tim Tebow, it's the combination of all these things that have got me believing, okay, in the offseason, if this is the direction they're going to go, and I think there still might be some questions there, I think there's some hesitation with John Fox and John Elway. Right. If for no other reason is, how do we do this? Who do we talk to? Because this has never been done before. Well, it's fun to watch uh, Mike McCoy do a hell of a job, a heck of a job, uh, coming up with stuff every week, you know, to uh, to take advantage of the skill set that Tim Tebow has right now. Brian, I did a game this week. I did the Carolina Panthers game. So I got to see Cam Newton. All right. Now, Cam's a rookie. Tim's in his second year. But essentially, you know, they're they're, they're in the same part of their development, developmental phase. And it was really fun for me to watch the uh, Rob Chizinski come up with stuff to utilize the skill set that Cam Newton has. And uh, so what you're seeing is, you know, the creativity of the coaches. And I think one thing about NFL coaches that uh, I don't know that people always realize is that they are very good at adapting to the skill set of their players if they want to survive in this league. You can't be too dogmatic in the scheme that you run. And if at the end of the year the Denver Broncos decide that this is their guy, and listen, if they go to the playoffs – he, he has to be the oh, guy. Oh, he's going to be the guy. He by has default, to be the guy. You know, the, the degree yeah. that – and i got to tell you, I was very impressed with Mike McCoy. I did not yeah, know like him. Mike. The Him having to adapt to this. And he flat said – and this is his words. You know, we're kind of making this stuff up as we go. Right. Now, it's not that haphazard. Don't get right. me wrong. But the fact that, that you're having to do this on the run, the one hesitation, and I'm half sorry for it, I think it would be in Tim Tebow's best interest long term. And, and I'm certainly not advocating they lose because they're on a great run. And there's lessons he's learning right now 
being in the <laughs> thick of a playoff hunt that, say, a Christian Ponder and Cam Newton is not. Because Christian Ponder and Cam Newton, by way of example, they can just let the thing fly. Yeah, and what's, yeah. you know, what's, okay, so right. we lose a game. Who cares? Right. Tim Tebow doesn't have that kind of latitude. There are lessons to be learned by those two that Tim Tebow is learning that they haven't yet. But by the same token, last play of the game that set up the, the game-winning field goal for, for, for uh, uh, Denver. Minnesota, uh, uh, Christian Ponder drops back, and it was a typical corner flat route. The corner baited him beautifully. Uh-huh. Goodman, you know, yeah. act like he was taking the flat. <laughs> yeah. Ponder throws the deep outside route. He comes off, goes spinning to it, and intercepts the ball. That's a lesson that Christian Ponder has now learned going forward, and I think it was as painful as it was. That was a great lesson to learn. It cost them the game, and I say this only you know haphazardly or, or, or just half-heartedly. Well, who cares? Okay, so now you're, you're you're instead of three and nine, you're two and ten. That is a lesson that's going to serve Christian Ponder well going forward. Tim Tebow has not been put in enough of those situations for that learning curve. That that I wish he could, but it will come. Well, it will. You know. This Tim Tebow guy, all he does is win. Yeah. That's what they say. That's all we're accountable And for. that's what he's doing. And uh, when they have an offseason to work on the throwing motion, like you said, Brian, at the top of the, the podcast, it's not going to change no. a lot. But maybe they refine it a little right. bit. They the, work footwork the footwork will. The footwork. The anticipation, the anticipation will. Wrapping the offense. All those things Working will with the receivers, you know. And, and you know what? The league changes, you know. And. You made, you made a great point when we were preparing for this podcast. Nobody's really ever won the Super Bowl with an unorthodox offense. So to sit here and say, oh, yeah, they can win the Super Bowl with it, 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 it goes against what history tells us to be a fact. But who knows, man? Well, the you term know, I there use. There are things, people, things change. Uh, let me ask you this. Okay, let's put ourselves in John Fox's shoes. Yeah. I made the comment to, that encompasses just what you're saying. No one's ever won a championship outside the pocket. Right. Ever. Ever. Now, that doesn't mean it can't happen. But it hasn't. <laughs> but you as John Fox, realizing the uniqueness of this and what you've got in this guy, and, and this is a guy that plays good defense, wants to run the ball, don't turn it over, and we can win a championship that way. You haven't. And in Carolina, it was a little problematic. It's what eventually led to him being let go. Well, he got to the Super Bowl one year, he but did. they did it with Del Home having a heck of a year, Correct. too. Correct. So yeah. it goes back to, well, is this a quarterback-driven right. league? Can you really buy in hook, line, and sinker and emotionally to a path that, and, and I'm an old man, so I'm conventionally thinking, and yeah, you want to think outside the box, and we'll be the first ones to do it. Can you really wrap yourself around that? Uh, he's going to have to. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's, he's going to have no choice uh, because if he doesn't, then <laughs> they're not going to want He's not going to be able to show his face in Denver right. because there's legions of fans out there that are, are lining up behind Tim Tebow. I mean, he's converting people every week. You know, he's... he's uh, He's like an evangelist. I mean, people are just swarming behind him and following right. him, and it's it's amazing to watch. And uh, he's a rare, rare person, and, and John's going to have to get on board, which he is on board. He's on oh, he board. Is. He is. He's on board, but, you know, they're going to have an off season, Right. And they don't need to work on the read option, and they don't need to work on the quarterback counter and the quarterback power, and they don't need to read work on the dive option, and they don't need to work on those types of things. They're going to take all of their time and work on developing a passing game that fits with what this guy does and make him the very best pocket passer they can be, utilize his ability to get outside the pocket, uh, and all that other run stuff. I mean, yeah. they, they're successful with that I, right now. I want to make a left turn here in a minute, which is great because we have a script here we kind of follow, but the good thing is we can do anything we want because it's our podcast. Okay? Right. <laughs> but but I want to come back to something in a minute. But but first I want to, I want to talk about uh, there was one throw, 
and, and we'll probably do this on the coach's show. If not, we'll do it during the week. There was a third and four right. that he converted on. It was a little check down, threw it, I think it was to Lance Ball. It was Tim Tebow in the pocket. It was a true drop back in the pocket. You saw the big wind up. Yeah. yeah and that yeah. one play, when you look at that, you and you as a defense coach going, you can throw all those you want because I'm going to pick that off. Right. That, that still scares me a little bit yeah. because the fluidity of the throw, how long it took, that's what they're going to have to overcome. Well, because the athletes at this level on defense are so quick, so explosive, have great anticipation, and, and they're going to go make plays on that more often than not. The guy's going to be really have to be really wide open for him to have continued success doing that with his motion. But here, here's the thing that's tough, Brian, defensively. Uh, and I can tell you this because it's always an issue when you're playing a quarterback with mobility is what coverage do you play on third and short? Because if you yeah. man him up and you get tight on him, then you don't have eyes on the quarterback. And he can run for a first down, and now the drive stays alive, and you're over there kicking yourself in the pants going, my goodness, why didn't I play zone and keep my eyes on him? If you play zone, then he can find some of those windows. You know, I, I'll go back to, to Cam Newton. I did his game yesterday. Going into the game, he had run for 17 first downs on third down. Mm. Okay, so he converted 17 third downs with his feet. Yesterday he converted either three or four. So he is by far the top guy in the National Football League at converting third downs into first downs by running the football next to Aaron right. Foster and uh, MJD and some other guys. So from a defensive coordinator standpoint, that is so frustrating because you go, okay, what do we play against this guy on a third and short? And the way they're running the football, they can create those third and shorts, and it really is going to play into their hands in terms of dictating the coverages they see. If he sees man, he can squirt through there and run. If he sees in zone, maybe that long windup doesn't matter. And, let's, and we're going all over the place here, but I love your point. The top third down conversion team in the NFL right now is New Orleans and Green Bay, predictably, right? right? Because we're talking about right. Aaron Rodgers, talking about Drew Brees. They're at 53 and 49%, which means the, the best quarterbacks in the league right now, at best on third down, right. Or about 50%. Can you imagine what that means to a team to have a guy that can maybe steal one or two? And you're only going to attempt about 12 to 13 third downs a game. If I can steal two more, right. three more third downs that even the best of quarterbacks can only get at 50%, my goodness, that is that is huge. Yep. Um, let, let, me, let me make a little bit of my left turn here. And I want to make the point <laughs> okay. about John Fox because let's also recognize John Fox has done a heck of a job. Right. But And, and this, is, this is going to be a point that's dear and to our hearts because we're two coaches that have been let go in this league. Let's look at the idea. Let's look at what happened. And this goes to the heart of, because we have a number of coaches now, and we're going to approach the coaches on the hot seat. And we've talked about, can you, a la Andy Reid, or we just saw Jack Del Rio let go after nine years, that nine and ten year level, can you hold on to this? John Fox got let go at nine years. Right. Now, and, and, and recognizably gone to Denver and done a hell of a job. The emotion of what an organization has to go through. Because here's Ron Rivera taking nothing away from Ron Rivera. Let's say John Fox stays in Carolina and does exactly the same thing. Drafts Cam Newton, runs exactly the same offense, run exactly the same plays. But now it's John Fox who'd been there for nine years doing the same thing. And right now in Carolina, you were there. They are excited. Yeah, they are. The feud, the arrow's up. We got Cam Newton. We're going. But they are still sitting there at four and eight. If it were John Fox doing the exact same thing, what would the energy be? Oh, boy, I don't right. know. It's John, you know, and do we need a new? But because it's the new coach, and it's, it was so, that, that, what's that saying is John Fox is still a heck of a coach. And he was a heck of a coach when they let him go. 
It was just time for that change. And Ron Revere is doing a great job. It takes us back to our Andy Reid discussion. What happens? Let's say Andy Reid decides to walk away. Right. And next year, that team goes 8-8. Eight and eight. Yep. Well, people say, oh, people, great, oh, we're headed we're up. On the right, track. right. If Andy Reid stays and they go 8-8, eight eight, oh, God. Oh, uh, we really need, right. oh, it's getting old. Maybe. Right. 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 So it's all perception. Exactly. I don't know. That's a left turn. No, you're right, though. You're right. It's one we don't need. Uh, let's look forward a little bit. One thing, too, now, what it, uh, and Tebow, uh, he's obviously uh, he's a good man, and so living right has a nice payoff because the next two big games coming up, they got Chicago without Matt Forte now. Sure. Without their – oh, boy, are they picking up Chicago at the right time or what? Yep. They're going to keep this thing going. And they now lead the division because Oakland has shown some of its true colors. Right, and then they've got New England at Buffalo and Kansas City, so they've really got three very, very winnable games. And let's not – you know, I mean, we're all over Tim Tebow and, and justifiably so, but you know, let's talk about that defense wow. as well. You know, they played yesterday without Von Miller, who I think is a candidate not only for – Defensive Rookie of the Year, but maybe Defensive Player of the Year. He's an explosive player. Mario Hagan went in and played very well. Uh, Dennis Allen, who's their coordinator, has done a great job. John Fox is very involved, obviously. But they're making plays all over the field. And the energy they're playing with, the passion they're playing with, they're very sound. They've got it going, Brian. And you look at their schedule. Like you said, Chicago, New England, at Buffalo, Kansas City. I'll tell you what, it's uh, it's and, shaping up nicely. And for what excites me, and let's compare it to Oakland, who we've said it many times, particularly now where it becomes in very sharp focus, where do you play, who do you play, and how do you play? Right. I'm sorry, but the Oakland Raiders losing to a Miami Dolphin team, mm. you lose any claim to we're the best team in the they division. They were down 34 to nothing at one point. And uh, so it doesn't mean they can't come back. Well, no, they can come back, but, boy, that's something that's tough to overcome because it wasn't – a close, it was never a close game. Now they got the score with you know where it looked like it was manageable, but it was thirty-four to nothing at one point. And this is supposed to be a team that's competing for a playoff spot. And you hate to see in December, especially the first week of December, your team go out there and get thirty-four points put on them before you're able to get a point on the board. Uh, I don't know if that's an indication of of uh, where they're headed because they had a good win the week before, or if it was just, you know, a blip on the radar that they can overcome, we're going to find out. But it was, uh, it was certainly a devastating loss for Do them. Do you have the mental toughness as a team that we know you have to have if you're in the playoffs now? Right. In December, to win games you're supposed to. What do, what do we say our formula always is? Win at home, home, split on the road, the, yep. beat the teams you're supposed to beat, and split with the good teams. This yep. is a team. You can get a road win against a team you're supposed to beat right. with everything on the line, you're in the head of the division, and you can't get it done. To me, the sheer mental toughness. And think in, my, in terms now of that Bronco team. They're playing a Chicago team that's vulnerable. And, they, hey, they, if, hey, the schedule fell your way, and obviously Chicago's vulnerable. New England's going to be tough. But they're playing a Buffalo and a Kansas City team the last two games of the season. They're out of it. Yep. And as much as they want to win, if I'm in it and I'm Denver and I'm playing two teams that are out, they'll want to play hard, but I like my odds. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't know. You know, we'll see where Kansas City is at that time. And, you know, they've got New England at home, which it's, you know, that place. If they beat Chicago this week, you know, which, shoot, it's a good chance they will because, of the you know, the situation Chicago's in with their quarterbacks, that place, that, that stadium is going to be out of control when New England gets there. And uh, I don't know that that will affect Tom Brady and those guys very much because they're such a poised group but it'll certainly energize the Denver Broncos. Uh, you know, they, the Raiders going to Miami and losing, certainly devastating, but the, the Dolphins now, 
I mean, yeah. that's a team. How about that? that? Just has what risen a job Tony Sperano's done. What a job. With, I mean, he, you know, we'd given them up for dead. He was on death watch. It was when is he going to get fired? It wasn't if he's going to get fired. It was when is he going to get fired? And he has hung in there, and those players are believing in him, and they're fighting their tails off, and they are. I mean, they are really playing well. And it's I don't know if it will make a difference, but I hope management, at the end of the day, you're going to look at the total and say, this is where we've gone, and okay, so maybe we need to make a change. But I hope management looks at, you know, this isn't easy. For him to hold that team together the way he did, yeah. that's not an easy thing to do. I hope he gets some consideration for that by, by management and ownership in, in Miami when they decide to do what they're going to do at the end of the season. Well, if they can finish out strong, if they can finish out with four really good games and show that the organization, the team, the football team, not the organization, the football team is headed in the right direction, then I think they really have to seriously consider, you know, not making a change. And I understand they have to go through the process. I applaud. We'll talk here in a minute about, obviously, the change in Jacksonville with Jack Del Rio. And right or wrong, I think the way they went about it, and and there were some telltale signs of it that are very clear cut what Jacksonville wants to do. We're going to have a bunch of these coaches, whether it's North Turner in San Diego, Tony Sperano, uh, uh, Spagnola in St. Louis, obviously a tough stint. I applaud what the Minnesota Vikings just did uh, today when ownership came out and said, Leslie Frazier is going to be back. Mm -hmm. Now, you can agree or disagree, but what I like is the organization says, look, if we're going to gain ground, we're a 2-10 and team right now who played pretty good last Sunday, although defensively they did some things. But they were injured and the like. But they were definitive with, okay, we're going to make sure these guys know we're going to finish this out, and you better be responsive to this head coach because he's coming back next year. Right. Uh, Jacksonville went the other direction for a lot of different reasons. Very telling that on the same day that they fired Jack Del Rio, they gave their general manager, Gene Smith, a new contract. The new ownership change was to me, that tells me a couple things. First, let's remember Jack Dell, and then made Mel Tucker their, their uh, uh, head coach, who in his news conference made it very clear, Blaine Gabbert's going to start and finish every game as my quarterback. Right. Well, you look at that in its totality, it says, one, and whether Jack was going to be able to hold on to the job or not, I think he got dealt a raw hand with the way the offseason went and drafting the quarterback and giving up the draft choices to get it, whether Blaine Gabbert can play or not. The new ownership clearly said, look, the first thing on my watch is I don't want to have to fire a coach, so you need right. to do that now. I'm extending the general manager, and and we don't like the fact that he pulled Blaine Gabbert, so Mel Tucker made the very clear point, no, that's not going to happen on my watch. At least they were definitive in December now as to the direction they want to go, and the players can rally around that. Minnesota was the same way. Went in a different direction. We're going to keep our coach, so you guys better respond to him. I love that. I think there's some lessons there for the San Diego's, the Miami's, the St. Louis's to go, you know what, you need to give some definition here one way or the other. Right. I, I, I agree with you. And, uh, uh, you know, there'll be people that say, well, Leslie Frazier shouldn't, you know, shouldn't get another shot. Well, you know, I was a guy, I was one year and out in Seattle, which is really tough. And, and, uh, you need time to build your program, you know, and Leslie didn't get an off season. And you're right, Brian, the fact that their ownership came out and supported him, and it wasn't it wasn't the vote of confidence. Right. It's, it was he's coming back. He's coming back. It, it allows him to, to hold the players accountable as they go down the stretch here. You know, those guys can't put the keys in the ignition, start the car up, and be ready to run off for the off season. You know, he's going to tell them, listen, you are being ev- evaluated to the very last play of this season. And I expect you to play as hard as you can and be as focused as you can possibly be as if we were going into the playoffs. And if I don't see that from you, okay, I, I will 
factor that into my evaluation of you going forward and whether or not I want you on this team. Third and goal across the four-yard line. Yates under center. No backs. TJ back to throw. Passes over the middle. Got a man. Touchdown, Houston. The Texans score on the reception by Joel Dreesen. TJ Yates with the touchdown pass. Three yards. His ask, he'll deliver. Youngster with the nerves of steel. Before we get out of the AFC, because we've kind of sized up some of the races, I know you want to talk about it. Was a tough loss for, loss for Atlanta yep. in Houston. Obviously, with TJH, you got to give Houston great credit for winning under the circumstances. But what's been overshadowed, I know you want to talk about Houston's defense has transitioned, in my mind, from, well, gee, look how much better they are than last year, to forget all that. They're a damn good defense. No, they, hey, Brian, they are playing lights out on defense. You think about all that they've been through this year. Uh, start with Arian Foster hurt at the start of the year. Okay, then they lose Mario Williams for the year. Then they lose Andre Johnson with the hamstring. And then yesterday they Mm. lose him again. Then they lose Matt Schaub. There's been two consistents with this team all year. Number one, they are running the football with authority against everybody. And number two, their defense is playing lights out. When you think about the Houston, the Houston Texans of the past, you thought about a team that could always score a lot of points but couldn't stop anybody. You know, you think go back to the Jacksonville game last year where they gave up the Hail Mary at the end of the year, that devastating loss to Jacksonville. That's not happening there. This team, I believe, Brian, you can check it. I think they've given up 189 points so far. Now, that's not like, you know, where you guys were when you guys won the Super Bowl with that amazing defense. Still but pretty darn good. In the league as it is played today and the points that are being put up today, that is really, really good. And and just the fact that uh, keep in mind now, last year their offense was pretty good as well. Absolutely. It's not you know it's, so I think that quantifies when you look at Houston. They were thirtieth in the league last year. Yes. in points given up. And yes. you're exactly right. As I'm looking at here, they are third, currently third that? in the league. How about that? And coaches always say, forget the statistics. It's all about points, points. scored. Well, okay, to a degree. The other stuff. Well, those other statistics, they lead to points, right. yeah. But that kind of jump, and, and it's not like, okay, now they're better on offense, they're running the ball, but the composite, that's defensive football. So uh, yeah, Wade, Wade Phillips gets has a Wade huge. Done, yeah, and you know, we all have known for years that Wade's a great defensive football coach, but doesn't this just further confirm it? it does. I mean, now he's taken off the head coaching hat, and he's focused solely on the defense, and you see what kind of tremendous impact he's had on that unit. And he's loving it and having a great time. Seven seconds, probably to win the game. Right in the middle of the hash marks, 49 yards. Good snap and hold. The kicks away from 49. Short. Didn't get it. All right, let's let's go over to the NFC, Jim. And and one of the things that came up, we we do this all the time, but I I I think it's great for the fans to hear the thought process, the procedure you go through. Jason Garrett had a tough. And yeah. do a game oh, against boy. Arizona in terms of handling the timeout and doing with the kicker. Let's let me just set up real quickly what happened there. They're driving for uh, what should be a game winning winning field goal. Uh, they've got about what a minute twenty seven on the clock yeah. with two timeouts. And Jason Garrett, um, rather than call timeout, he rushes his field goal team out there with a rookie field goal kicker mm-hmm. who's had some struggles at times. Uh, kind of rushed through it, calls a late timeout just as the guy's kicking, so he kind of ices his own kicker. Not that that was his intent. The guy makes it. They come back and decide to kick it. This is a 49-yard field goal. Rookie uh, kicker, 49-yard field goal for yeah, the win 40, on the road. Yeah, on the road. Okay. Uh, and, and the guy misses it. 
yeah. uh, which then gives uh, uh, takes them into overtime. If I'm not correct, uh, mistaken, yes, takes and, them in overtime. and Arizona hits a you know an, yep. an, uh, you know a little drop off pass that goes yep. 70 plus yards for a touchdown. The process of let, let's let's take it through there. First off, I, everybody will agree. Boy, not utilizing a timeout. We had two left as well. Right. That's, that's the thing. That, and to uh, not to try to position your field goal kicker with a few more yards, I think, is a legitimate criticism. Yeah, and, and let's just say this, Brian. You and I both know Jason Garrett, and he is an extremely smart yeah. person. Okay, so it's not like he couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, but this is certainly a situation, a decision that he made that he's getting criticized for. And not to throw him under the bus, but – you know, it deserves scrutiny. It deserves some criticism. It deserves to be talked about. And I think when you and I were preparing for this broadcast, what we came back to is that separation between head coach Mm -hmm. and play caller and how difficult that can be, especially for an inexperienced head coach. Jason's not an inexperienced play caller, but this is his first year really as a full-time head coach. And, you know, you know better than I certainly what it's like as a play caller, as a head coach, as that clock's winding down, I knew as a head coach that if our offense was on the field, I wasn't concerned about our defense. I was focused right. solely on clock management. And I was in my offensive coordinator's ear, and I was talking about timeouts and if we were going to go for it on fourth down and where the ball needed to be on the field because I also had the special teams coordinator with me. And uh, and you saw that on I, the sideline. It, uh, was, yeah. it was a, a fire drill because you had it people coming be. at him yelling – and you're right, that transition, we've said it many, many times, that he was in an offensive coordinator Absolutely. mode. He was thinking about, what do I call? What should I do? All of a sudden, he's got people. That transition from play caller to head coach, we've talked about it many times. Most of your major decisions as a head coach come when you have the ball. Yeah. Four down territory. Do I go for a two-point? Do I kick the field goal? All those types of things that come in. It takes an experienced processor of that situation to process all that information as one or the other and you can see it got awful big he had a lot of input at that point and here's the problem brian is that his title is head coach right okay and so as hard as it is he had to take off his offensive coordinator hat real quick there yeah tough transition but you got to do it you you, if if you decide that you're going to be the play caller as the head coach then you have to be able to do that. Otherwise, you need to have you know somebody else calling the plays uh, because you get so single focused. You know, you're singularly focused, and that's on what's the next play. Well, yeah. you know, the problem here is it was it was, it was uh, very obvious, very evident to anybody that's ever coached the game that he just needed to call a timeout with 31 right. seconds. Right. And I, I heard his his uh, his comment after the game was, you know, a lot of things can happen where you can lose yards. Well, listen, oh, boy. you've got a veteran quarterback in Tony Romo, okay? So you can put the ball in his hands, and if you, can move, if you want to move him, if you feel like you want to throw the ball, which you probably don't, but maybe you need five, six, seven more yards and you think you can get it through the air, you put the ball in Tony Romo's hands, and you have to have confidence that he can throw it out of bounds, uh, that he cannot throw an interception, that, he cannot, that will not take a sack. If you run a, a lead play, you know, fullback, lead or even a fullback belly where you know there's no lead back but just a belly you're going to get maybe not positive yards but you're not going to take a sack you're not right. you're not going to take a loss most likely sprint tony romo out yeah. and have faith in him to have a clear-cut situation or throw the ball away right with yeah. and you make it very clear tony we cannot lose an inch so i'm putting that on you can you imagine drew Brees, tom brady 
uh, <laughs> Peyton Manning, Eli, any any quarterback of substance. Well, they would have called timeout without even thinking about the absolutely. Coach. And now have, let's orchestrate what we want to yeah. do. Okay, if we're worried We've about losing control yards, of the game right now, absolutely. We got two timeouts, thirty-one seconds. We are really in field goal range. This game's ours. Let's right. just make the right decision. So, I think it's clearly a case, Brian. Clearly a case, of, like you said, that that. Uh, Jason was just not able to transition from play caller to head coach fast enough emotionally during the game. And the icing of the kicker, let's make that clear. He didn't ice his own kicker. Icing a kicker doesn't work unless it is a rookie. I had Matt Stover, who was a long time, and he used to love. He said he used to he would tell me, Coach, anytime a coach, an opposing coach wants to ice me, I'm I'm loving it. Because, you know, you golfers know. How would you like to tee off, get a free stroke? (laughs) Yeah. To get yourself set, do I have the right groove, and now get to hit your real one. That's right. He says, anytime someone wants to let me beat in where I'm at, what's the wind like, where's my aiming point, get a free stroke at mulligan. it. And then get a, yeah, a mulligan. I'll Breakfast take, ball. I'll take that any time <laughs> they want to give it to me. So, But this is, this is a rookie. So he did do a disservice in the way it came down because it was a rookie, and, and I don't know, but at the end of the day, this kid swallowed the olive oh, now. Oh, yeah. So, and it's unfortunate because it cost him a game that they really did. They, they, you talk about now – the New York Giants, who had a very good effort against the Green Bay Packers but lost against the brilliant Aaron Rodgers. But now sitting there, you don't think Tom Coughlin, this could not, short of a win, could not have come down better. Because they're looking at, okay, well, if we lose to Green Bay, they're playing, or Dallas is playing Arizona. If that's a win, we are in uphill. We got Dallas twice. Now this clearly comes back in New York's court. So this was a major loss for, for, uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. Well, a big-time loss, you know. <laughs> Because even though they didn't really lose ground, just the way that the New York yeah. Giants played the Green Bay Packers, you know, they played them toe-to-toe, and it took a drive by the great Aaron Rodgers there with less than a minute to get him back in the field goal range and then the field goal to win it. I'm sorry, yeah, to, to beat the New York Giants. Yeah. So I think if you're, you know, both teams hated to lose, all right? And, and loss is loss is loss is loss. I mean, they all hurt on Monday. But if you are the New York Giants, you said, man, we just stood toe-to-toe with the world right. champs, and we, we almost got them. We fell a little bit short. We didn't lose. We just ran out of we time. We ran out of time, but our fiber, we just defined right. our fiber. And if you are the Dallas Cowboys, you're going, man, we screwed that one up. Whew. And, and those Barely are beat two, Washington, barely beat Miami, right. and kind of screwed this one up. And those are, you know, you're, you, that shakes your confidence yeah. a little bit. And, you know, people think that professional athletes should be confident, should be able to overcome, but they're, they're human beings. You it's know, veneer thin, that confidence. <laughs> you and I know that. <laughs> sure let, let me is. back up a second because it brings up a point I wanted to talk about as well. Watching the game the other night between New Orleans and Dallas and watching Sean Payton, who for obvious reasons with the injury and the like has turned over the play calling to Pete Carmichael, Drew Brees. They're having a phenomenal year. Now, let's make everybody clear to everybody. Sean Payton's still orchestrating the offense involved. Sure he is. Okay. But I will make this point. And I know Sean Payton is brilliant at play calling. He enjoys it. But we're seeing a team now. Sean Payton, just what we're talking about, he's removed from that a little bit. He's more of a head coach right now. (laughs) He doesn't have to make that. He can manage the game more as a head coach because he's got someone calling the game for him. They're doing it brilliantly. 
uh, compared to what Jason Garrett just went through. Right. I'm not sure <laughs> that Sean Payton, I don't think he will. Sean no. will pull it back for no other reason that he enjoys it. And yeah. he doesn't want to give up his genius he's car. Darn good he's darn it. good at it. And he just enjoys it. A guy you work for, Mike Holmgren, told me years ago when I had turned it over, when I was a head coach and turned it over to Matt Cavanaugh, and I felt that was the best way to go. He said, Brian, I don't know how you could do that because it's so yeah. much fun. How can you not have that <laughs> yeah. fun? And I get that part of it. I, for my, and, and Sean Payton's got a Super Bowl ring, and he's called a be- beautiful year to get that done. I'm not sure Sean Payton's not a better head coach having turned the play calling over. Well, I think one thing that probably helps him is he's still, like you said, very involved with the offensive game plan. I mean, not intimate. He is intimately right. involved right. with right. the That's... offensive game plan. And he's in Pete's ear. He's making suggestions. Maybe what's happened is he's been able to divorce himself a little bit from the emotions of calling the play and look at it big picture. Because Sean, Sean's a special guy. You know, and you said give up the genius card. And I, I hate to call football coaches geniuses because I think that... Uh, no, it's a bogus. It's, you know. Yeah. But I've Sean... never heard one coach call another coach a genius. <laughs> no. Ever. But Sean is extremely bright and he's, a, he's an outstanding football coach he's got really great awareness he's been around some great people he knows how to handle his team and he doesn't have the type of ego that demands that he's front and center all the time I don't believe you know he's already got a Super Bowl ring all right, right? he's right. already validated so, which is important yeah so he can step back a little bit and he can say I'm going to let Pete do this but I'm going to keep my hand in it I'm going to keep I'm going to keep my my hand on the throttle I'm going to still drive it but I'm going to let you know I, I'm going to be like the I'm, a, I'm the pilot Okay, but I'm going to be sitting there, but I'm going to let the co-pilot fly the plane a little bit. But if he needs me, I'm right here. Yeah, it's 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 worthy of discussion. I don't know where, where Sean's going to go with that. I don't have a New Orleans game right now. I'd love to sit and talk to Sean about this as they go forward. So this ought to be a pretty easy field goal of about 31 yards for Mason Crosby. 31-yard try, ball on the far side of the field. The holder, Tim Maste. Mason Crosby, good snap. Good hold, Crosby for the win, and it is good! And the Green Bay Packers stay unbeaten as Mason Crosby kicks the field goal to win it, 38-35. to We just talked about uh, the great New York Giant game and against uh, 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 the Green Bay Packers. I'll tell you what jumped out at me. Two things. They orchestrate the Giants now I'm talking about. Beautiful drive. Get down the field. They're heading to overtime. 58 seconds left on the clock. Now, you, you and I both have been in that euphoria of, oh, we've just stepped up to the challenge. We've driven the length of the field. The look on Tom Coughlin's face. I, you could see it in his face. Oh, He's fired up. He looks at the score. Then he looks at the clock, and you could tell it was, oh, boy. Well, don't you remember a few oh, weeks boy. ago when Eli Manning said, I would rather have the ball in my hands right. down yeah, trying to exactly win the game right. Good call. than the ball in, in – and it was Tom Brady, Tom Brady at, the Tom, at the time. Tom, Tom Brady's hands up with him trying to win the oh, game. Boy. And, yeah, and we've been in those situations. Oh, my gosh. And here you was know. the other thing. <laughs> and we're going to show this on our coaches' show, so so everybody needs to go back. Tape DVR it if you can't watch it, our coaches' show, which is on at 6.30 Eastern time on the NFL nice Network. Nice plug. Yeah, nice plug. Um I'm watching because I got in from my flight from from Minneapolis, and so I get to watch the end of the, uh, the game on Sunday. Uh, or I should excuse me, I, it was at the airport, and I was able to had one of those planes that had the game on. It was great. We're, we're going to talk about from now on because Green Bay Packers have always said until we're in the playoffs, we're not talking about this. Okay, well yeah. you're in the playoffs. The playoffs. So the 16 and 0 talk, and then the, all the way through and the undefeated. Okay, this this we're going to be talking about this for the next month. And what should they do? Should they play it out? You know, do you rest your players? 
We're going to show a picture of when you see that Green Bay sideline watching their guy attempt this whatever distance of field goal it was. Aaron Rodgers, these guys are on edge. That group of guys, they're going for the undefeated season. Make no mistake. I I want to hear Mike McCarthy tell that group and the look on the faces that I saw in Aaron Rodgers and everybody across that line along the uh, sideline. You ain't telling any of those guys in week 17 against Detroit when you've got the number one seed, hey, no, you're coming out of this game. Right. We're not going for the perfect season. That ain't going to happen. No. No. Uh, you love to see that intensity. And it's one of the reasons why they've been able to maintain the greatness, you know, following the Super Bowl win last year is because they've got a bunch of pros that are very focused. And this gives them just another thing to aim at. And that was a big win for them, especially, you know, I was looking at their schedule earlier and I was going, okay, if they get by the Giants, this was going into this game, if they get by the Giants, they still got the Lions. They, you know, gosh, it's going to be tough. But, you know, the. The Lions have kind of dropped off a little bit. Uh, they got through the Giants. Uh, you mentioned that focus on the sideline. Yeah. I think that really defines their mindset as a football team. Man, they're going for it. They are absolutely going for it, and I will not be surprised at all if they get it. Well, and 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 they certainly they were excited. Any team you get excited about winning a game, particularly when you come back. But you would have also understood if that group they're looking at that great, we got the win, that little fist pump, jogging off the field. Okay, what's the next one? They were into. They wanted that win, and right. that's what told me. Not that the other would have been bad, but they were emotionally invested because they had they lost it. Okay, they're still going to be the number one right. seed going forward, and and they would have you know okay we played a good tough game, but they they were just so emotionally vested in. I, there's no question in my mind, and we'll see. But compared to what Indianapolis did, and, and even New Orleans when they were making that run uh, and and made that decision to rest their guys, they uh, they're into it, and it's uh, it's exciting to see. All right, let's. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about right now is in that game, and I just it needs a shout out because I can't tell you how impressed because it's going to lead us to our other subject. Um, at the end of the game, when Eli Manning and I'm, it's terrible. I'm, uh, I'm trying to look for it, but I don't have it. Uh, the touchdown pass that Charles Woodson got beat on for yeah. the touchdown. That was a hell of a throw and catch. Yep. And in an age of uncontrolled passion, excusing stupid moves for passion and enthusiasm, to see a Charles Woodson former defensive MPP of the of the league to me the ultimate or consummate competitor and what right. I'm great competitor just gave the guy a little fist pump saying hell of a job man great yeah. great throw and catch yeah. you you deserve some cuz I'm right here yeah. it took an absolute perfect throw and catch rather than complain or this that that act right there god is that so great well, for the league well we need to you know what has to happen is people need to they need to see that, you know. They, they people. We need to show that on TV, Dude. and we need to we need to glorify Absolutely. that movement rather than the stupid things that guys are doing. You know, the the kid from Buffalo yesterday. Did you see what he did after yeah. he scored. Yeah, he, would, it, he mocked the system. Right. And, and so what you saw from Charles Woodson is a guy who's played in this league for so long, has great respect for the game. He has great respect for the league. He has great respect for his opponents. And he says, you know, sometimes I'm going to get beat. I don't like it. But, man, heck of a job right there. Right. That's You know what that is, Brian? It's called sportsmanship. It's called you know? class. It's called class. It's called you maturity. Know what? My experience are the truly great ones, the truly great ones. I don't care whether it's the way you deal with people asking for autographs, whether it's a situation like that. The truly great ones typically do that. It's the wannabes. 
that act differently, yep. that, that do the other thing. And that leads us to, and, and I, cause I've got to talk about it. You had the game and mm-hmm. I, I'm excited to hear your view on it. I was, and, and we're going to play it for the, for the fans here. If they haven't heard it, we're going to see it on our coaches show. Raheem Morris sending Brian price yep. after a personal foul that cost his team, not only in the locker room, but told him to go home. Yeah, I sent him to the locker room. I told him to go home because it's foolish. It's, it's selfish to your teammates to everybody in the organization, to your fans, that's just that's terrible. That's, that's, that's just selfish behavior to get a 15-yard penalty in that situation uh, when that's all we talk about, that's all we discuss. You, you just can't do that to your team. Now, within the, the confines of just the game, people might have looked at it to a certain degree. But in the, when you look at the broader picture of the Indomitian Sioux, in Nor- or, or, or Detroit lost it the other night again. That Jim Schwartz has got a problem now getting that team's passion for the game under control because it's spinning out of control. We've both been there. I I applaud and loved what Raheem Morris did to, with Brian Price. Well, I, here, here's the thing is they're in the midst right now of a six-game slide, and they were at five yesterday, and, and at the point that he booted Price off the field, that game was essentially decided. Uh, and Raheem just said, you know what, if I let this go, then I have a real issue on my hands, and I'm at risk of, of losing control of my team, and I'm not going to let that happen. And it was embarrassing for Price to have to walk off the field, and I'm sure it was embarrassing for Raheem to have to face the media afterwards and explain it. I mean, if not embarrassing, very difficult for him. Uh, and And I guess essentially it was something that probably had to be done to maintain focus, maintain control, and, and not let that thing spiral out of control in the midst of now what is a six-game losing streak. You know, this is a team that came into the year with very high expectations uh, of, you know, potentially competing for the NFC South title, and they've fallen short of those expectations. I'm not sure if those expectations were warranted. They're so young. Yeah. You know, they're just so darn young. But Raheem, he, he, he drew a line in the sand yesterday, you know, and now he has to enforce it. He has to back it up he with does, everybody and, else, yeah. but that's okay. Because they're not going to make the playoffs. And, and I'm about to be critical of Jim Schwartz, and, but, but I'm only going to do it from the reference fame. I, and it happened to be against the Detroit Lions. I lost control of my team. We went up to play the Detroit Lions. We weren't very good. They weren't very good. And, and particularly on the defensive side, we lost control. And I'm talking about my best players, Terrell Suggs, uh, Ed Reed, across the board. And I couldn't get it reeled back in. Now, we got it reeled back in the next day because the next day, in the team meeting, not just me, but I had my owner come in together saying, guys, you need to know going forward, if this happens again, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to look back in terms of saying, you know, but I'm going to make sure you understand if this act happens again, you're coming out of the game. I don't care if you're Ray Lewis. I don't care if you're Ed Reed. I don't care if you're Terrell Suggs. And we did get it back under control. And then the next year we went 13 and three. But Jim Schwartz, who I know is trying to address it, but here's the issue. We so enable the players. And, and Brian Price's agent came out the next day and said, well, Raheem overreacted. Yeah. Well, you know what? Agents and family enable the players worse than anybody. Right. Jim Schwartz is trying to get a deal. This is why I pro- applaud what Raheem uh, Morris did because it was very up public. It was very out front. He drew the line in the sand. The oh, Detroit yeah. Lions, with all that the Detroit Lions are dealing with, being in the thick of the hunt, Chicago lost. Um, New York lost. Dallas lost. These are people. You're in the wild card division. Right. They're no longer in the NFC right. North. Detroit is in the wild card division. All right? And with all the Indomitian Sioux talk and you're out of control and whatever, they have 11 penalties. Wow. 
against the New Orleans Saints and lose the game. Now, I'm not going to say it's the penalties, but the personal fouls in the second half, these penalties are costing you games. Yeah. Forget the the personal, the moral, the ethical side of, hey, we don't want to be that kind of team. This is the business side. You are co- You have got to get this under control because you are costing yourself games. Yeah, and it's sad because it's a good football team. And uh, if, in fact, Schwartz has enabled it, then then he's directly to, to blame for this. You know, uh, Jim's a competitive guy. He's a feisty guy. I think part of it, Brian, I think part of it has to do with the fact that he's come in there and he's trying to change the culture, yeah. you know, and bring back a toughness and a nastiness. And uh, and sometimes, man, you let it go a little too far and you got to know when to, like you said, kind of walk it back. Right. You know, and uh, you, you really hope that Jim's having that tough discussion with his team today because if not – you know, once again, this is a team that could spiral right out of control as we as we end this season. And get them to understand when the game's twenty four to seventeen that we fought so hard. I mean, you look at yeah. the numbers; they had thirty five minutes of time of possession, four hundred and sixty six yards. Wow. They they had a good game going. Yeah. And I don't want to say no no one player plays no, cost no, you the no, game, no. but I'll go as far as to say these penalties were the reason when, that you lost. When you're playing a team like New Orleans, oh, you can't beat yourself. And when you get those costly penalties, that's what people talk about when they're saying they beat themselves. And we are right now, my point would be, we are not now, right now, doesn't mean we can't be there tomorrow or Wednesday morning when we have our team meeting. But my point, if I were Jim Schwartz, and I have their game this week uh, against Minnesota, would be right now, We, even though we're right in the hunt of it, and guys hold on to that, but I'll tell you right now, we're not mentally tough enough, even if we get into the playoffs, to go very far. Right. Between now and then, we've got to play well, play the next team up, which is the Minnesota Vikings. Okay, We've got some tough teams on the, on the radar here. We've got to finish at Green Bay. So, But one game at a time, I understand that. But if we make it, because part of it has to be, okay, once we're in the playoffs, then, hey, let's go, baby. Let, let's go for the, the, for the golden ring. Let's go for the Super Bowl. And right now, we're not mentally tough enough to do that. So between now and the playoffs, and we're going to get there because we're going to work hard and we're going to win this game, we're going to win. Okay, but when I get when we get to the playoffs, I want to win it all, man. And I'm right. telling you right now, we're not mentally tough enough to do it. And we better find it between now and the playoffs. Yep, and they've got four weeks to square that away, and so they better get it done. Well, this is uh, this has been fun, man. I'm glad I finally pulled you over to, to recognizing Tebow's a good because it's been a hard <laughs> process for the last three weeks, and I'm fine. I've I've, I've I finally got you to agree to it. Uh, that's going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast presented by Bud Light. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Also, be sure to catch the Coach's Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 630 Eastern. Thanks for listening, everybody.